Good morning. Well, thank you. I've got my name in there. Very nice. Glad to be with you here on this last Sunday of January. Not been a bad winter. Not bad. A couple more months to go. Hope you're enjoying it. Um, if you are new, that is, haven't been here this month, we are actually finishing a short series called The Gospel and Relationships. It's part of a larger study we're doing in the book of 1 Corinthians. started last fall. We will continue as soon as next week. But this series, which is focused just on chapters 5, 6, and 7, that's where we'll be today, uh, will conclude. And we're going to conclude this message on the gospel and relationships um, with the topic of singleness. I won't ask you to raise your hand. Last time you heard a message, if you ever heard a message, and what does the Bible have to say about single people, people that are not married, um, at least presently, maybe that never get married. You'll see an example of this in this passage. That's where we are this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I would say this, these verses that we will look at is one of the most important messages of this text that we've been looking at for the church about the dignity and value of single people in God's eyes, whether they're single for a season or single for their whole life. Okay? One of the most important messages of this text, and as I said, even getting into this study, you don't hear a lot of sermons on these chapters, these softer middle chapters in the first letter of Corinthians, because they're, they're, they're all over the place, and they're talking about strange issues like marriage and sex, and, and sex outside of marriage, and here we are with singleness. But this particular message, these verses written by the Apostle Paul, is one of the most important messages for the church about the dignity and value of the single life in God's eyes. Now, the Apostle Paul will say not only... Is it valid? That is to say, it's not something one has to do or not has to do, but not only is the choice to stay single or be single for a season, if not for your whole life, is not only a valid choice in God's eyes, in his case, he would say, as we'll see in the verses, potentially preferable, okay, preferable. And I would say this, that that particular statement, we'll see this in these verses, is actually more revolutionary than anything Paul said, and we've talked about this in the last few weeks, about marriage, about sex in marriage. I mean, he said things that were revolutionary. Even last week, we talked about this thing about marriage and sex in marriage. And Paul says, listen, in an overly uh, uh, you know, sex-saturated culture, perhaps not too different from our own, but in Paul's day, he said, listen, let me tell you what sex inside marriage is. It's not self-serving. It's not simply for pleasure. It's not about what you get. It's about what you give, okay? Uh, it, it's, it's, self, it, it's, it's self-giving, that was revolutionary in Paul's day. You know, a man's, man does not have authority over his own body. His wife has authority over her body and vice versa. That was revolutionary 2,000 years ago. But I would say, to say in this culture, perhaps more in his culture than in ours, that the single life has value in God's eyes, unique value in God's eyes, maybe even preferable under the present circumstances, Paul will say, is, was more revolutionary than anything else he'd say. Now, some would say, who've looked at this subject, that Paul says that because he, we saw, we saw this in the earlier a part of chapter 7, he happened to be single. It's believed that Paul was probably married as as a member of the Sanhedrin, but must have lost his wife young, and his whole life in the scriptures as we see it, he's a single man, and he talks about it uh, as a preference in life. But 
Some would say, well, he's just, you know, validating his own preferences, as we all do. Like, do what I do. But it's not insignificant to keep in mind, if you're a Christian here today, you're in church on a Sunday, that he was also the most, um, the greatest theologian in the Christian church in 2,000 years. So he's not just some guy, you know, (laughs) at a bar telling you what he thinks, right? The Apostle Paul wrote 13 letters of the New Testament Chosen by God, uh, Acts chapter 9, he's the greatest mind. You know, Augustine, Calvin, Luther, you know, all the way up to the present day, they all are rooted in him. He's the greatest mind, like him or not, of a Christian theologian. And he is the one that's writing these words that we're going to read here today. Now, perhaps, you know, maybe even more importantly, you know, staring us in the face, our Lord, our Savior, the only perfect human being that ever walked the planet was, wait for it, and is, if we understand our theology, single today. I'm talking about Jesus, okay? Which means this message is not only important for the church any time, okay, in the last 2,000 years, but perhaps in our time when we live, some of you know this, The largest cohort of single adults in American history, 2020 census, is today. Nearly 50% of the 126 million adults, Americans walking around the planet today, are single. Just in the last 20 years, the marriage rates have dropped from 67% to 53%. Not in 100 years, in 20 years, okay? Those who have never been married, including your pastor, okay? Those who have never been married in the last 20 years has increased 50%, excuse me, doubled, 17% to 33% in 20 years. So, good news, bad news, all this. They're here, these weirdos, myself included, (laughs) joking. They're here, and they're coming. I would say this to you, some of you know this. They're full of gifts and talents and passions and ideas, and, and, and bring them on, okay? That's what Paul's message is here. Okay, let's get into the text. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, holy life, verses 7 through or excuse me, 25 to 31 and then 38. 1 Corinthians, we're diving in the middle of this chapter, verse 25 to 31 and 38, the Apostle Paul. Now, about virgins, okay? Those of you who are sleeping, now it's time to wake up, okay? (laughs) Now, the word virgins typically in this context, he's talking about, it's his way of talking about people who've never been married, whether or not they've ever had sex, I think. Now, about virgins, I have no command from the Lord. In other words, I'm, I'm, I'm out in a limb here. Right? Jesus didn't address this issue particularly as I'm doing it. But I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy because of the present crisis. I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Or a woman. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. You're engaged. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life 
and I want to spare you this. What I'm... Okay, wow. No, that was going to get a laugh, but I don't know. Okay. They thought the Bible was boring. Okay. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as though they do not. Some people say, hmm, I like that. <laughs> those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of this world as if not engrossed in them, for this world in its present form is passing away. Verse 38, so then, he who marries the virgin does right, no problem if that's your calling, but he who does not marry, in Paul's opinion, he is a, you know inspired writer of the New Testament, does better, okay? A holy life, a holy life. What is a holy? We've used this term, a holy body, a holy community, a holy marriage, a holy life. It means a called out for something specific. Okay? That's what holy means. Called out for something specific, which is what the church is all about. Now, first point in this message. A holy life is a life of new freedom. Okay? A holy life, single life, is a life of new freedom. Now, the Apostle Paul remains, we talked about this last Sunday, very pro-marriage. Okay? He's very pro-marriage. He's not anti-marriage at all. But in light of what he says here, I'm going to highlight three things. Verse 26, verse 29, and verse 31. In light of the present crisis, what does that mean? For the time is short. What does that mean? Verse 31. For this world in its present form is passing away. Right? He wants to say a couple things. Three of these things are essentially, I think, saying the same thing. He's saying, listen, what is he saying? For this world in its present form is passing away. Now, the, the word form there in the Greek, the underlying word is the word schema. So what he's saying is where we get the word scheme. He's saying, listen, the world in its, in its present scheme, in its present arrangement, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, everything has changed. You don't necessarily see it. You just woke up the next day. I just woke up the next day, put on the same clothes, got in my car and went to work, or got on my horse and went to work back then. He said, listen, but everything has changed because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what he's trying to say. Because of that, I want, you to, I want, to, I want to give some new dignity, some new value, some new, I want to open up a whole new opportunity that wasn't really opened up before not just in the history of the world, but even in the Old Covenant, about the valueness of being single. It's why Paul would say, in my case, he's saying in his own case, he prefers it. Here's what's behind, okay? You see, what is he talking about? What do these words mean? He who has a wife, as if, as if he did not. Those who had, uh, uh, were happy, as if they were not. Those that buy something, but they don't want to keep any. What is he, crazy? What is he trying to say? Behind this statement, for... This world, in its present form, is passing away, is that the scheme of the world has changed, is a sophisticated view of world history. And, it, and let me tell you in a few sentences what it is. And this is what Paul means in this strange paragraph that we just read about have stuff but don't hold on to it too tightly. It's a sophisticated view of world history. And here's what it is. The, the Old Testament Messiah, those who were anticipating it, the Old Covenant, the Bible, the Old Testament Bible that was the Jewish Bible. The, old, the, the Messiah was supposed to come and bring an end to the, to the old order 
and start the new order. That was what they were waiting for. And there were all kind of implications for that. It wasn't just, you know, we want a longer work week or we want less taxes or, you know, we'd like to have more vacation time. The whole order was supposed to change. The poets of the Old Testament put it this way. When the Messiah comes, the lion will lay down with the lamb. It was a quick way of trying to say all of the conflict, all of the disorder in the world, all of the disorder in even human nature, that all of it's going to come to end. The lion will lay down with the lamb. The child will put his hand into the cobra's nest and it will not be bitten. They will take the instruments of war. They will take swords and they will turn them into plowshares. Okay? The Messiah was going to bring an end to the world order. You might say world peace would be established. But instead of ascending a throne, you all know this, in the first coming, Jesus, the Messiah, ascended a cross. Instead of bringing judgment on all the bad people and ending all corruption and making the world, setting the world to rights, he chose to bear judgment before he would bring judgment. Okay? So he did not bring an end to the old world, but he did bring a beginning to the new world. And all of those who are in Christ, we call it being born again, although we still live in the old world, although it's still here, although there still is war, there still is lions and lambs going after each other, there still is conflict and pollution and difficulty and sin. At the same time, those who are in Christ, the new world has begun. Okay, That wasn't true in the days of Moses, in the days of David, in the days of Jeremiah. So what Paul is saying is, listen, our participation in this new order, in this new life, in this new future, should transform your attitude towards all things in this life. That's what he's saying. He's not saying get rid of your wife, get rid of your car, get rid of your lake house. He's saying, listen, don't hold on to them too tightly. Because the new day has begun. All our attitudes towards these things should be transformed. Enjoy these things, but don't make an idol out of them. Your lake house will not make it into the next life. Your career will not make it into the next life. Why? Why do you say what God means? Because they would have no appeal there. The eye has not seen, the ear has not heard, nor has entered into the heart of mankind the things that God has prepared for them that love him. That's a fancy way of saying nothing, the very best of this earth would be a bore and an insignificance in the next life. It would have no appeal there. It would have no place there. Marriage, as it turns out, won't be there either. Okay, that's what he's trying to say. From, those, from, from now on, those who have wives should live as they do not. He's not saying get rid of your spouse, don't have anything but great commitment for husbands and wives till the day you die. He's saying, listen, that's not going to be there either. Okay, if you're making an idol out of your wife or out of your kids, out of your lake house, you're making a mistake. That's what he's trying to say. Marriage won't be, it, it, it belongs only to this life and to this realm. Now, we'll get back to that in a few minutes. 
I saw a woman here illustrate this point. About a year ago, I hadn't seen her. She and her husband member of this church for many, for decades. She lost her husband about a year before I ran into her. And um, I hadn't seen her. It was just so great to see her. And I had all these emotions looking at her and thinking about her. I, I, I did her husband's funeral and I remember it. And I said to her, it's so great to see you. And I said, how you doing? And she said, you know, I'm, I'm doing pretty well. I'm doing well. And I said, well, how's it been? She goes, you know, it's been hard. Of course, it's been difficult. We were married for many, many decades. But she goes, I very recently I came to a new realization. And I said, what is it? And she said, I realized this, this that, um, my, that my life is not over. That part of my life is over. And by that, she didn't mean she was throwing out all the pictures. She didn't mean she was losing all the memories. She said, I just came to realize something. That was a huge part of my life. That will always be in every memory a huge part of my life. And of, of course, my children. But that part of my life is over. But my life is not over. In a manner of speaking, that's what the Apostle Paul is saying here. When Jesus Christ became your Savior, if he did, okay, it's the beginning of the rest of your life. It's the beginning of a new kind of life. And he doesn't want you to, 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 to put all of your life in a bonfire, right? But those who, you know, don't hold on too tightly. Because you're not bringing any of those things with you. To be a Christian means your eternal life has already started. And with this new life, you have a new freedom in your relationship with the things of the old. Am I making sense? That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. A holy life is a life of new freedom. Second, a holy life is a life of undivided devotion. Verse 32. A holy life is a life of undivided devotion. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, not laying the law down here, but that you may live in a right way in an undivided devotion to the Lord. Okay? What is he saying? Some would say, you've heard this before, the Apostle Paul or other people, they have the, quote, gift of singleness. Now, where did that come from? 1 Corinthians uh, 7, 7. We just looked at this a couple weeks ago. And Paul says something like this. He said, I wish that all people were like I am. By that he meant single. But he said, everyone has their own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that gift. So some people say indirectly he's saying he had the gift of singleness. Okay, not so sure. That, but what he meant. But what did he mean by that? Well, I don't think he meant, if we want to even call the term of the gift of sin, that it was like the gift of mercy, the gift of hospitality, the gift of public speaking, the kind of gifts that some of us have. We call them spiritual gifts. That if you understand you have this gift, you, you, you kind of come into terms with it. You use it. It gives you great joy. And the more you use it, it gives you great joy. It's a gift, something that's been given to you, a, 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 an ability, a talent, a spiritual gift. The Bible talks about this at great length. I don't think Paul was talking about that. Okay, in that sense, he says about himself, 2 Corinthians 11, who is weak and do I not feel weak? 
Who is led into sin? And do I not inwardly burn? Paul's saying, listen, I'm made of the same stuff you are. I am weak just like you are. Am I led into sin? Paul's saying, yes, I'm led into sin in all categories. Do I not inwardly burn? Used in, this, in the New Testament, typically talk about sexual desire. Paul says, yes, I do. So I don't think Paul meant he had the gift of signals like, you know, it's just something given to him and off you go and you use it. I think what Paul meant, if, if, if we want to even use the term, the gift of singleness, is it was a choice that he made. It wasn't easy. He had difficulties and challenges like anybody else. But it was an opportunity for him it to, 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 to serve in an undivided kind of way in his devotion to the Lord. It was a choice. It was a, it was a legitimate choice, a choice that he made, and a choice he was sticking with. And all he's trying to say is, it's an available choice for you if you want it. Because when Jesus Christ rose from the dead, everything changed. I remember when I was first talking to this church. And the, it was the, the, the uh, search team, a lady on the search team, her name was Christy. And we were talking, we were almost done after two or three phone calls. And finally she says, are there any questions you have for us? You know, like, you know, we've asked you a thousand questions, whether we want you to be our pastor. And I said, well... I, I probably had one or two I can't remember. And I said, well, you do know that I'm single, right? And I thought, well, she, they hadn't brought it up. You know, I thought it would be interesting to bring it up. And she goes, of course we know that. And she said, you know, I, she said in so many words, she didn't say this, but, you know, Jesus was single, Paul was single. Or, you know, you keep your act, you know, you, you, do, you live in a good life, we're with you, you know, kind of a thing. That's not, she goes, but it, does it bother you? I'll never forget that. It was so powerful. I give her so much credit for asking me that question because I didn't think it bothered me, but it was so helpful. And I, I would say to myself as I look back on this passage, you know, do, does Rob Catalani have the gift of singleness? I would say, I guess in the way Paul did, I do, right? Who is weak? Am I not weak? And do I not? Uh, who is led into sin? I'm made of the same stuff you're made of. And I'm, and I'm led into sin of various kinds. It's part of being a human. And do I not inwardly burn? Do I have a healthy attraction to, to people of the opposite sex? I do. And at times I inwardly burn. Okay? But I would say this. In the 25 years of my entire ministry, not here at Browncroft, it's been an amazing opportunity. The privilege I've had to serve in two churches, to meet people that I've, uh, uh, I've never met before, to travel uh, the world as I did some in my last job. Listen, it's been an amazing opportunity. And yes, there have been some things that I missed. And who knows? I could still get married. But the point is this. If the Lord called me home tomorrow, my heart is full, right? My heart is full. That's what Paul's trying to say, okay? That's what Paul's trying to say. Yeah, thank you. He's trying to say this. Here's the point. You're called to be married. By all means, pursue it. Only don't pursue it. So now I'm speaking particularly to single people or single again. Don't pursue it because you think it's the only way to live or because you think you're missing out on the purpose of a fulfilled life. That's what he's trying to say. Okay? Don't pursue it because you think it's the only way to live. I don't get married, something's missing, something's wrong with me, or that you're missing out on the purpose of a fulfilled life. Jesus and Paul would say, think again, okay? Think again. Tim Keller, if you know the name Tim Keller, 
pastored a church uh, for 30 years or so, New York City. But him and his wife, when he got there in 1989, okay, a while ago, it's when he started this church in, in uh, Manhattan, he said he was shocked. You know, he'd only pastored one other church in a small little town in Virginia. And he got to New York City, Manhattan, 80% of the people in his church were single adults. 80%. As it grew, it stayed 80%. And he said to myself, well, listen, if that's the case, his wife's name's Kathy, he said, listen, you know, we're, we, we, can, we can jettison, we don't have to give the, you know, occasional uh, or not so many, you know, sermons on marriage and, and why we're going to give that. So he didn't until 1991, after three years, he decided to do it and he said it was unbelievable, right? Nine sermons, the, the, the response was so great that he wrote a book, right? He published a book on it. He realized that single people, here's his point, cannot live their lives well as single people without a balanced and informed view of marriage. He said, you know, the problem is single people, many of them, maybe some of us who were married now would say this about ourselves in the past, they were either over-desired marriage or under-desired marriage. They either thought marriage was a passion fest, right, let's get married, or it was a prison, let's avoid it, they either over-desired or under-desired, but he said both of those attitudes will distort your life. And people needed to hear that message, right? The, the real key in this verse is verse 35. I'm saying this to your own good, not to restrict you. Get married, don't get married, but make the choice that will allow you to live your life in the most undivided way. For some people, that's getting married. Some guys or ladies in this room, without their husband, without their spouse, they'd be, you know, living in the basement of their parents. You know, I mean, they'd be, they wouldn't be doing what they're doing, okay? But he's simply saying, make the best choice that's going to help you live the kind of life to make the most of the time that you have, okay? A holy life is undivided devotion. Lori Gottlieb, if you know the name Lori Gottlieb, she wrote a very popular, she's a writer, well-known, she used to work for the Atlantic Magazine, but she, she, she was a writer, um, is a writer, and wrote a very popular and controversial book in 2008. Some of you may have read it then. It was, it's called Marry Him, The Case for Settling for Mr. Good Enough. Okay? That was the book that she wrote in 2008. Now, it turns out the, the, what was so interesting or controversial about this book was she was saying... The essentially the same thing that the Apostle Paul is saying here. What she was saying in that very, what was seen as a controversial book, is listen, our culture, maybe even the culture of the church, she didn't say this, not a Christian, but the, our culture has so idolized marriage and family, right, over-idolized marriage and family, and her conclusion simply is this, it wasn't anti-marriage or pro-marriage, she said, singleness along with marriage is a legitimate way to live your life. That's what was so controversial and interesting about the book. Now, she said this, quote, What I didn't realize in my 30s is that while, I, while settling seems like an enormous act of resignation when you're single, once you take the plunge, you'll be relatively content. That's because what makes for a good marriage isn't necessarily what makes for a good romantic relationship. Marriage isn't a passion fest. It's more like a partnership formed to run a very small business. And I mean this in a good way. 
It's not that I've become jaded to the point that I don't believe in romantic connection. It's just that as your priorities change from romance to family, the, quote, deal breakers change. Some guys aren't worldly, right? You know, they're not uh, invited to the cocktail parties kind of thing. But they'd make great dads. Or you walk into a room and start talking to this person who's 5'4 and has an unfortunate nose, but he gets you. Okay? I bet there are plenty of these men in the older, overweight, and bald category, which they all eventually become anyway. <laughs> part of the problem, listen to this, part of the problem is that we grow up idealizing marriage, thinking that it meant finding the man or woman of your dreams, and so we walk away from relationships that might make us happy in the context of a family. Those of us who are looking for a soulmate are almost like teenagers who believe they're invulnerable to dying in a drunken driving accident. We lose sight of our mortality. We forget that we too will age and become less alluring. Okay? That's, that's some woman who probably doesn't go to church, but she's pretty smart, right? She's essentially saying what the Apostle Paul is saying. If God's called you to be married, go for it. Pursue it, but don't do it because you think your life's going to be less than. Don't do it because you think you're going to miss out on fulfilling. Because what the Apostle Paul is saying is, um, since Jesus Christ rose from the dead, the game has changed. The new life begins now, okay? The new life begins now. Single or married are both good, but there's only one person. I'm going to end this message. There's only one person who can fulfill us in God's uh, and, that, and God's family is the only family that can truly embrace us. Last point, a holy life is living your next life now. Listen very carefully. Your holy life is living your next life now. That's what Paul's trying to say. You don't get to just go right in from the old to the new. <whistles> done with problems. Done with troubles. Done with taxes. Done with, you know, distortion. Done with crime. Done with, you know relationship problem. No, those things are there until Jesus comes. It's a both hand. But you can live your next life now. Traditional cultures, Lori Gottlieb was right, have made an idol out of marriage and family. Why? Or made an idol out of marriage. Why? Because they've made an idol out of a family. Okay? And the Jews did it too. Because having children forever in the history of the world was the main way to achieve not only significance, right? That's how I'm going to carry my name on, but security, right? It was long before they had, you know, 401ks, you know. The, and, the basis, and, and this idea was the basis of a trap that the Sadducees, this group of religious leaders, tried to set for Jesus, where I'm going to get to this point about marriage in the next life. They tried to set it up because the Sadducees and there were the Pharisees, they were both kind of these you know, religious groups of a kind, but ironically, interestingly, the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. Right? It was, the holy life was all about this life. The Pharisees did. And so they tried to set Jesus up with a trap. It's a famous story. And they say, Jesus, because they didn't believe in the They said, listen, Jesus was more of a Pharisee in the sense of his thinking. And they said, there's a guy, there was, there was a law in the Old Testament, it's called the Leverite Law. Okay? It's in the book of Deuteronomy, Leviticus. And the law was built on this idea of the importance of family. 
Marriage was idolized. Marriage was very important because children was very important because it was only through children that you could carry on your name and you could have security. And they said, and it was so important even in the Jewish system that the Leverite law said this. If I'm married and, my, um, and, I, and I die, my brother, my younger brother who wants to go off and play football, you know, well, he has other things he wants to do with his life, my brother has, is obligated to now marry my wife to carry on my name. And if my brother dies, Jesus, this is a hypothetical, they say, Jesus, there was a guy that this happened to, the oldest in the family, his wife, or he died. His wife was now a widow, no kids. So his younger, next younger brother married this guy, or this woman, excuse me. It's a whole other sermon. Whoa, okay, now. He marries this woman, and he dies, and, and, he, and for sake of, uh, uh, of illustration, there's five brothers. They all have the same problem. Who's going to be this um, woman's husband in heaven? Am I making sense? Because she was married to all seven brothers. Now, pick up the story. Jesus said this. Jesus replied, you are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. But about the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God said to you? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. When the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. They said, oh my goodness, what in the world is he talking about? Okay. What's his point? The resurrection life does not correspond exactly to the life that we have now. Okay. It's not an extension of this life. Yes, there's a lot of things that are similar. Jesus walked the earth. You're going to have a body like his. We talked about that. But it's not this life plus plus. Right? That's what he's trying to say. The present life, it's not an extension of the present life. It's a transformation of it. And marriage, as we now know it, will have served its purpose. Life then is a fulfillment of all that marriage now is supposed to point to. Ephesians chapter 5. Okay, that's what we talked about last week. Now, let me say this. The Bible actually doesn't teach that there's no marriage in heaven. It teaches that there's one marriage in heaven, right? Jesus and his church. Marriage in this life was created as a reflection of the ultimate union between the Lord and his church. For this reason, a man shall leave his mother and father and cleave unto his wife. This is a great mystery, but I am speaking about Christ and the church. So marriage is wonderful for all the reasons you know it's wonderful. And it's challenging. But it's supposed to be, it's not an exact parallel, but it's the closest thing. That's why these things are always talked about in parallel. That is the covenant relationship that God has with his church or that Christ has with individuals and a husband and a wife too. It's not the same, but it's as close. And the best of marriages are supposed to be a foretaste of the ultimate marriage in heaven. They're not perfect, but it's a foretaste. They're ultimately pointing to that one. Okay? And what Paul is kind of saying in his own words here is, if marriage is for you, go for it. But if you're not married for now or for a while or you never get married, it's okay. 
You can live a fulfilled life. You can live a perfect life. You can, and maybe it's a more meaningful life, depending on what God has called you to do. Amen? Amen. So let me end just with a challenge. It could be for everybody. We're done with this series, a holy community, a holy body, a holy marriage, a holy life. But let me, let me, let me just take you know, 30 seconds and address the single adults in this room. Single? Maybe you're not going to be single forever, but you, may be, but you don't have to rush if you're young. Or maybe you're single uh, again and you're thinking about getting married. Whatever the case may be, here's three pieces of advice as I close in prayer. Number one, know this. You are complete in Christ. That's what Paul's trying to say. You're complete in Christ already. Everything, there, all the promises are, are yes and amen in Christ. That's what Paul's trying to say. You're, you, you have the resources, I have the resources to be and do everything that God wants me to do, whether or not you ever get married. You are complete in Christ. Starting root. Okay, now. Second, this life is fleeting. You know that. The time is short. Life is short. Uh, don't waste it thinking about what could be or what you think should be. And the last point, which is Paul's point, is make the most of your life now, right? What I mean is those of you are happy as if you were not. Those of you buy something as if it was not yours to keep. Those of you use the things of this world, okay, use it. Watch the football game today, but if, if your team loses, don't, don't jump off a bridge, okay? As if not engrossed in them for this world in its present form is passing away. And we're all going to be sooner than not in a place that's going to make the best of this life seem like the worst dream, a nightmare. The eye has not seen, the ear has not heard, neither has it even entered into your imagination the things that God has prepared for him that love him. And what he's saying to love him, he's saying, listen, whether you got three days left or 40 years left, invest your life in the things of God. Do whatever it takes. Maybe for you it is getting married, but do whatever it takes to have an undivided um, heart to the God. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day. We love you. Thank you for this time uh, to, with my uh, friends. And I pray you bless us, guide us, direct us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a great Sunday.